0: We're continuing our series called Talking with God, the Ancient Art of Prayer. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open your Bible to the Book of Psalms. If you have a Bible, it's kind of right in the middle. Book of Psalms, we're gonna be in chapter 42 and 43 today. If you don't have a Bible, you can find that in the Black Bibles on page 469. Page 469 in the Black Bibles will be in Psalm 42 and 43. The series Talking with God, we're gonna look at a major passage each week leading up to Easter uh, to try to learn what the Scripture has to say about prayer, how we can become a people of prayer. Want to continue to encourage you to check out these resources as well. I've got some books on prayer up here. And also don't forget to grab the little paper copies we have at the table and in the hallways, the resurrection prayer guide. We're inviting all of you to pray together with us so that as a church, we're praying unified prayers for our community, for ourselves, for Jesus to be honored in this church. And so I want to encourage you to grab hold of one of these. Uh, we're using the Lent season. Uh, we don't necessarily like endorse everything that's always been done historically in Lent. We're not saying, yay, we love you know Lent as, as practiced in this group or that group. We're saying, let's use this season, the 40 days leading up to Easter to be unified. praying and fasting together. So I encourage you to grab the guide and that'll help us to be on the same page. It's got little short scriptures and prayers for each day. I encourage you to grab that uh, and we can be on the same page. I've got stuff all over the place up here. Okay, move that around. Um, So we're going to be in Psalm 42 and 43. These are twin Psalms and so really they they go together. It's kind of like a, a sequel Psalm 43 is. So we're calling it the Forgotten Art of Lament. The forgotten art of lament. And I call this a forgotten art because this is something that's very important in biblical Christianity, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the idea of lament. And this is what lament means. This is the dictionary definition I grabbed off my phone. It means to feel or express sorrow or regret, okay? So to bring sadness into your worship, into your prayer life. As Chris mentioned, as we were singing that, that modern version of Psalm 42, satisfied in you, um, it's to be Godward with it. So the question is, do you feel like you can bring your lament, your grief, your sorrow to God, or do you feel like you have to clean that up? Do you, have to feel, do you feel like you have to like cover that over, mask it, paper over it, wear, wear a mask, pretend that everything is okay? I think we've got two things working against us. One is Christian culture. Christian culture encourages us to be optimistic and happy and to hope in Jesus. And it is right and good to hope in Jesus. It's going to say repeatedly in our text, hope in God, hope in God, hope in God. But what we're going to find is that hope in God comes after a journey of expressing grief. So we've got to learn to not just jump to hope, but also to express our grief and our lament. So this is something that's difficult for us in Christian culture. It's also something I think that's difficult for us as Americans. We want to recognize our culture is a very optimistic culture. It's very much a, I can do it. I'm going to be optimistic culture, right? And again, a lot of good things come out of that. We're not saying that's all bad, but we just want to recognize that lament has become a forgotten art because it, it cuts against the grain. It cuts against the grain. So to introduce the idea, I wanted to read a little passage from a book called The Cure. A lot of us have read this. It's an interesting book. Um, recommend it to you. Half of you that read it will hate it. Um, It is a kind of vision fantasy based book where he's kind of got this vision, this fantasy of what it's like to kind of walk into different places of spiritual life, different rooms is kind of how he pictures it. And what I'm going to read to you is at the beginning of the book, and it has this main character walking into this room called the room of good intentions, the room of good intentions. Intentions. He says, I call out to the crowd almost involuntarily, Hey, how's everybody doing? The room goes silent. It's full of beautiful people, smiling people. Some of them even wear elaborately crafted masks. One man steps forward. Welcome, he says, shaking my hand firmly. We're fine. Thank you for asking. We're just fine. Aren't we, everybody? The hostess asks how I'm doing. Me? Well, to be honest, I've been struggling with some stuff. That's partly why I'm here. I'm I'm trying to figure some stuff out. Shh, she says. She puts a flawlessly manicured index finger to her lips. She reaches behind a podium and pulls out a mask, and she hands it to me. She nods her head with a curt smile, indicating that I should put it on. I stare at it for a moment, but the others in the room are also motioning for me to put on the mask. Slowly, I slide the mask over my face, and my next thought is, it might be best to back off self-revelation in this room. I find myself answering them as if from somewhere far away, you know, I'm, I'm great. I'm doing just fine. He shares this picture to give us an image of the social pressure that we feel in religious circles to pretend that everything is just fine. And again, there's some, there's some good to that, right? Um, there's some positive things that come out of positive thinking, but repeatedly in the scriptures, we're challenged to admit our lament and our grief before God so I just want to recognize that this is going to be hard for a lot of us because some of you are coming from a background of being in the middle of overwhelming grief and limit right now, right? It's so overwhelming, it's hard to even think about it. Others of you are genuinely feeling good. And you're like, Dave, I don't want you to bum me out today, right? (laughs) You're like, everything's fine. Why you got to bring the mood down, right? So What I want to do is I want to direct our heart to Scripture. I want to read what we find in the Scriptures and then see what we can learn together from this. We're going to read from Psalm 42 and 43, two short Psalms that cover the same idea. Again, it's page 469 in the Black Bibles, Psalm 42, starting in verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you, O God... My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep. All the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So I said, for some of you, this, this may be hard because you're in the middle of, of this really hard, dark place already. Um, for some of you, again, you're like, man, I don't want to be sad. Um, and I just want to encourage you that, that thinking about these things, praying about these things, seeing these things in scriptures helps us even on our good days to be ready for when those bad days come. A really interesting concept is that the book of Psalms is full of this kind of language. And the Hebrew name for the book of Psalms is Tehillim, which means praises. So it's a book of praises, and yet it's full of lament. As a matter of fact, when scholars, you know, divide it up into the different arrangements, the different kinds of Psalms that they have, different styles, different genres, Lament is the most common kind. It's the most common type of Psalm. So think about that for just a minute. The most common type of praise is to lament. And I think we have to do some homework today to make those two things go together. Because for us, praise doesn't go with lament. Chris mentioned this earlier. A great way to think about this is for the little child who skins their knee, when they run to mom or dad with their pain and their tears, they're praising mom and dad they're praising them. They're saying, these are people I can trust. These are people I can bring my hurt to. And so I I believe that's a good image to help us to understand how the book of praises is also full of lament and why it's something we need to work on. It's a a forgotten art that that we need to relearn. So let me pray for us and ask God to help us to learn how to do this well. Let me pray. God, thank you that you love us and you invite us to bring our pain to you and I pray that you would help us. I pray for those that are here this morning that, um, that are just really in the midst of a deep, dark place and dark pain. Will your spirit meet them, help them, comfort them with these words today? Pray for those that, that are not hurting, that, that feel good, that um, don't see any dark clouds on the horizon at all. Lord, I pray that you would help us as well to, to see our need of going here and, and learning from you and understanding how this works, I pray that you'd help us. Give us an open mind to receive from you this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a process, and we see this process in a lot of the other psalms. This is just a great one, um, one of my favorites. I love the song that we sang to get today, Satisfied in You. I think you can Google that. That's the Sing Team, Brian Eckelberger, but I think it's the Sing Team if you wanted to buy that song to listen to, Satisfied in You. Um, it's basically rehashing this psalm, making it in, in modern language. Um, but three things I want us to see as we look through the text. One is that lament admits vulnerability. Lament admits vulnerability. Are you willing to be vulnerable with God? Secondly, lament feels like death. Are you willing to feel that death before God? Are you, are you willing to dredge that stuff up? A lot of us, man, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. This is preaching to me. I just preferred to not think about it, right? But in the Psalms, we see this kind of dredging up the painful memories so that we can deal with them before God. So lament admits vulnerability. It feels like death. And then finally, the last piece is that lament leads to the gospel. Lament leads to the gospel. We see that really in the chorus. There's a repeated chorus where it's like, why are you downcast? Hope in God. It's this call to the self to keep hoping in God, this call back to the gospel that God is a God of good news and salvation and hope. And that's in the chorus, but we've got to work through the process, the verses, which are admitting all this pain and grief before God. So let's start with the first point. Lament admits vulnerability. Are you willing to be vulnerable before God? Or do you believe that the only way for you to talk to God is to pretend like you've got it all together, to pretend that you just have everything right and in order in your life? Or are you willing to kind of bring your undoneness before God? Are you willing to be vulnerable and exposed? Show him that you, you don't have life figured out and you need his help. We see this starting in verse one and ad, an admittance of need before God in verse one. It says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you Oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Any of you ever heard the old song, As the deer pants for the water? Remember that? If you were really conservative, you sang, As the deer panteth for the water, right? Um, The great scripture song based on this text. And it's an admittance of of just being dry. Uh, We have the privilege of living in a hot part of the country, So a lot of you have experienced this kind of thirst, right? You've experienced really being dry. Uh, I grew up uh, in this county, the other side of the county, playing football. We'd have two-a-day practices in the summertime when it's like 108 degrees outside. And our coaches would make us weigh ourselves before practice and after practice so that we were really sober about how much water weight we were losing because otherwise we wouldn't, we wouldn't drink enough. It's like, you can't drink enough unless you know you're going to die and you need to drink more. And so I, in high school, I remember one day I had lost eight pounds during practice. Isn't that crazy? Like, think of me as a skinny teenager, eight pounds, that's like, there was nothing left, right? I just kind of, <laughs> I blew away. I had to be reconstituted later. So most of us, if living in this area, or if you've been to the Middle East, or if you've been to other deserts, you know what it is to be hot. Um, Israel was a hot Place. And so this is taking that experience, that physical experience of being really thirsty and saying, That's how I feel about my relationship with God. I'm just dry. God, I need you. I thirst for you. We see this in Matthew 5, that that's, Jesus says, the beginning of a real spiritual relationship with God is to admit your need of Him. And He marks that out very clearly in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And so this is this admitting of vulnerability, ad- admitting of need. A couple of years ago, my wife and I got to go to the Grand Canyon. Here's a picture of me. Um, I'm, I'm repping my I Heart Clean shirt there. Now, I want you to notice, you may not be able to see from the back, but I'm smiling, and I've got a glow about me, and I look healthy, and I look good, um, but this is at the top of the Grand Canyon. I don't know if you know this, but the Grand Canyon, the, the top elevation, is, it's kind of like being in the mountains. It's like a high elevation, and it's cooler up there, but when you hike down into the Grand Canyon, it gets hotter and hotter and hotter as you go down. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Some of you have been out there? Yeah, it just keeps getting hotter. And so as you're getting more tired, and as the day is getting warmer and wearing on, it's getting hotter. So it's just like piling on. When we went, I had just recovered from a broken ankle. i just recovered from a broken ankle. So I was just starting, I think I'd like tried jogging once or twice before we came on this trip. So basically in the worst shape of my life. We go to the Grand Canyon. This is going to be so fun. By the time we were halfway down to the bottom, the the junior park rangers had to like pull me aside and spray me with water because I was was about to pass out. It was like serious heat exhaustion. I've never had it that bad. Even when I lost eight pounds of water weight in high school, right? I never had it that bad. And these uh, sweet 75-year-old junior park rangers are helping me out, right? They're like saving my life. And I had water and everything. Anyway, I share that to share that without water, we will die. And the psalmist is expression from the very beginning here, without you, God, I will die. And there are moments in our life where we feel like God is missing from the picture. And the difference between grumbling and lament is grumbling is like, you're that kid with a skinned knee and you run away from your parent and you tell your friends that your parents can't be trusted. Whereas lament is taking it to your parents right? So, so lament is saying, I'm thirsty, God, and I need you. And you're bringing that directly to God saying, God, I need you. I admit my vulnerability. I'm broken. I need more of you. Where are you? Where have you gone? I need you in my life. It's recognizing you're going to die without God and without his presence. He goes on and he uses another image here in verse three. He says, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? these things I remember as I pour out my soul. So verse three, my tears have been my food day and night. What does that mean? It's poetic language. He's not actually eating his tears, right? We talked about last week how um, sometimes fasting is just a way of expressing grief, right? When you're really sad, you just don't want to eat. And that's pretty normal. And this is taking it to the next level of just all he's got are tears. He's so sad. He's so broken few months, I don't really cry a lot. A few months ago, my, my mentor died, the pastor of our kind of mother church, Temple Bible Church, he died. And at the funeral, I was able to just cry and cry and cry. It was like, it was weird. It was like, man, that just, I'm still crying. Wow, it's still going on. Like it's still happening. And it just kept going and going. I don't know if you've ever been there. That was a very unusual experience for me when I feel like, I think I can kind of understand this a little bit better now. Um, there are times when you just feel like the grief won't stop. You just feel like it's going to keep going and you're just going to dry out and you're not going to have any more tears to shed. And in those times when it's worse than it's ever been before, we're called to take that to God, to share that with him, not to run away from him, but to run to him, to admit our vulnerability, our weakness, our neediness of God. Again and again, the scriptures say that the men and the women of faith are the ones that come to God needy And we somehow mix that up in our brains and we say, no, no, to be a person of faith is to have it all together. To be like so, so righteous that you don't even need God anymore, right? And we flip it completely upside down. So here we have this picture of my tears being my food, just being overwhelmed with sadness. And he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. This is a really interesting image he comes to here. And I think this is good. Again, this is a process we all want to work through, but what he's doing is he's modeling how you go back to your memories of being close to God. And that's a really good part of the process. So when you feel dried out and thirsty and broken and needing God, it's good to go back and say, I remember that time when I felt so close to God. I remember that time when I felt like God was with me and he loved me and he was caring for me. It's helpful to go back to those times and remember. There's a little bit of a paradox here though because it, it kind of makes it worse at the same time, right? Because you're like, I don't, I don't feel it now. But again, the psalmist is modeling for us our own process. Go back and remember those times. He's saying, I remember, I remember leading worship. I remember leading others to praise God. I remember feeling so much joy in who God is. That's not where I am now. And so again, this is an important process for us to go through. God invites us to to be honest and to bring our laments to him. He goes on then to the chorus in verse five. And he says in verse five, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now that's the chorus and we're going to keep coming back to it. And we're really going to talk about that more at the end of the sermon today. But the process is important to be able to get to the chorus of telling yourself to hope in God. You've got to admit the hopelessness that you're feeling to start off with. Does that make sense? Don't jump to the hope. And I struggle with this. I want to just jump straight to the hope. I don't want to admit the bad feelings. I don't want to dredge it up. I don't want to be vulnerable. I want to pretend I've got it all together but a healthy spiritual life is going through the process of admitting this to God, being real about the emotions that you're feeling. Men, I really want to press you because in our culture, we're taught to not have feelings, right? And so the Psalms are a really helpful place for us to go in a controlled environment, right? Where not too many people are watching privately in your prayer closet alone with God. Read the Psalms and it will train you to have godly feelings something that a lot of us have invested many years suppressing, right? And the Psalms will help us bring that out. A biblical counselor named David Pallison says this, the Psalms are a favorite of God's people because the Psalms express honest human emotion. And because in the Psalms, one can meet with God right where they are. You can bring your your messy, unkempt emotions to God. You can take him everything that you're feeling, which is a a beautiful thing, right? Because you can't always do that with your friends, right? Maybe they can't handle it. Maybe they're going to get weird, but you can always take those feelings to God. John Calvin says this, the Psalms are like a mirror with every kind of emotion. When you go to the Psalms, you read the Psalms, it's like a mirror shining back to you, every kind of emotion, every kind of hardship that you've ever gone through. So I encourage you, by way of first application, spend time in the Psalms. Spend time praying through the Psalms. There's a great book that Chris was just recommending to me. It's called Praying the Bible. Praying the Bible uh, by Don Whitney. Uh, And it's helpful to use with the Psalms specifically and just spend time in the Psalms, praying the Psalms, reading the Psalms. Another application would be to take the Psalms and write them in your own words. Translate them. Make them into your own words, make, make sense of them according to your own life. Um, another thing I want us to think about is that as humans, this is a bit of a balancing act that we can only pull off by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Which is why we take this stuff to God and say, God, help me. Because a basic building block of human maturity is to control your emotions. So don't hear me say what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying, become like an emotional wreck that just shares everything with everybody all the time. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. And sometimes we see people go through their spiritual growth where they go through an interesting period of time where they overshare, right? You may know friends like that. We're a Christian community. We're like, wow, I can actually share my emotions. I'm going to share all of them. Sometimes you have to be like, okay, slow down. Come on. (laughs) Like, let's rein that in a little bit. You can share them all with God, but the people around you are not quite as strong and gracious as, as God is, right? So you can kind of pick and choose, and, and that's something you want to move towards, right? We want to move towards emotional honesty and having good godly friends that we can share things with, but God's the only one that can handle all of it all the time. Does that make sense? And so basic building block of, of maturity is learn to control your emotions, and then as you grow up and you start walking with Jesus, you're like, Oh yeah, I got to actually share my emotions sometimes too. I can't just suppress them and keep them in a box. I got to get them out. I got to pray through these, share them with God, lament to him. Also want to note this and then we'll move on to the next point. Um, Some of you need also professional medical help, right? Sometimes we have a chemical imbalance. I know for me, a lot of times when I'm feeling despair, I pray my despair to God. And that's what I want to encourage you to do as well but I also say, you know what? I, I probably need to get a full night's sleep and eat right, right? Like there's some chemical things I know. I, I am way more sad when I've gone a week without sleep and without proper food than I am when I'm healthy. And some of us have chemical imbalances. Some of us have things that we need medical help for, right? So, so don't be ashamed to, to seek medical help as well. So, so all of this works together. It's not one or the other, but we want to bring our emotions to God, but we also sometimes need help with those things. A great sermon that that kind of helps talk through how complex human beings are is called The Wounded Spirit by Tim Keller. It's a sermon where he's preaching through the Proverbs and how the Proverbs talks about the complexity of the human heart. It's called the Wounded Spirit, and I highly recommend that for you if you're kind of wrestling with what's the role that medicine plays and emotional health and spiritual health and how do all those things work together. It's important to know that we're We're complex people. God is the ultimate source of healing and we're going to always run to him. But but sometimes we need the other blessings, the other tools, the other helps that he puts in our path as well. So the next point is that lament feels like death. This is the really cheery point. Um, Lament feels like death. Um, So here's the image of a family on vacation, river rafting. Look at how happy they are. Can you tell they're all smiling? They've got their helmets and life jackets on though as well. Why do they have helmets and life jackets on when they're going river rafting? Well, it's dangerous. Yeah, you can die when you're river rafting. <laughs> it's really dangerous. So in this next section, he's actually going to talk about the parts of Israel where the river rafting happens. They didn't actually have river rafts back then, you know, but, but they would get in the water and sometimes people would get slammed under the water. Sometimes the water would be too much for people. I don't know if you've ever had that. Experience of getting pushed underwater and you can't get back out—it's it's pretty terrifying. My my daughter went with the youth group. Um, they did a camp. They do a camp every year in New Braunfels, and they went tubing in the Comal River. There's this tube chute. and sometimes if there's too much of a crowd and your your tube gets flipped over, it's like the water is just pushing you down, and it's really hard to get back up. And that can be terrifying. It feels like death. But that's what the text is talking about here. So it's going to quote these places, and these places are the mountains where the water falls and the white water comes down, like kind of going to the Rocky Mountains and the rivers there. So he goes on in verse uh, six. It's the little break between five and six. It says, My soul is cast down within me. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Now, here's another paradox when we're suffering. The psalmist is saying, these are your waves. These are your breakers. These are your waterfalls. There's a mystery in the sovereignty of God. I was talking to someone about this earlier. God is sovereign over everything. And because of that, we don't blame him for our troubles, right? We don't shake our fist at God, but we come to him saying, you're in control of all things. So I'm coming to you for mercy. I'm coming to you for help because I know you're gracious. And so the sovereignty of God is a scary doctrine. The idea that God is in control of all things is a scary idea. But the Bible again and again says we are to see that God that controls all things through the lens of the cross, through the lens of grace, that God came after us. He was kind to us. He shows mercy to us. So here the psalmist says, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Verse eight, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So now he's coming back to habits of reciting the steadfast love of God, of remembering that God is gracious, even while he feels like he's being suffocated and squelched, and killed. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? He mixes up images a lot throughout here. You know, he's using these physical images, and probably he had a a near-drowning experience that scared him, and he can connect that experience of almost dying and drowning in the water to the experience now where he's saying of enemies taunting him, making fun of him, saying, where is your God? Right? And so the Psalms are are really beautiful because they have all these different images, sometimes physical things that we've experienced, sometimes emotional pain we've gone through, and it puts those together. It it gives us kind of a library of, of ways that we can deal with the emotions that we're feeling. And here specifically says, as with a deadly wound, in my bones, my adversaries taught me. That word wound in my bones is literally murder. He's saying it's like murder in my bones. That's, that's what I'm feeling. It's like death. And so again, one of the main reasons that we don't actually deal with our emotionally emotional pain, we don't actually lament with God is because we, we don't want to rehearse it. We don't want to go back to it again, right? Like we just don't want to that was painful and I don't want to talk about it again. I've said this so many times in my own life. Yeah, there was that horrible thing I went through, but it's fine. Yeah, I'm over it. You know, you don't really want to rehearse it one more time, but this helps us to grow. It helps us to come to the chorus where we can hope in God to go through the lament of saying, this, this is what I've experienced. This is what it feels like. God, why have you forgotten me? So then he comes back to the chorus again in verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I want to encourage you. I want to move you towards the biblical practice of lament in your prayer life and in your worship life, because this is a model that the scripture gives to us. We even see it with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. he's, He's praying and sweating blood. And he's saying, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. We see Jesus lamenting with us, even as he goes into death. And so this encourages us to to deal with this, to to bring it to God. Say, God, I'm struggling with this. It's going to feel like death when you lost your health. One day you're you're healthy, everything's great. The next day you get the the cancer diagnosis. It's going to feel like death, even if it's not something that's, that's put an end marker on your life, even if it's not a, a disease that ends in death, even if it's just, I've, I've got a limp, I'm broken, I'm going to hurt, I'm going to have pain now for the rest of my life, it can feel like death. And we can bring those things to God. It's going to feel like death when you lose your job, because you've started to put stock in that as what's going to take care of you, what's going to give you respect, what's going to give you the money you need to take care of your family, whatever it is, as we go through this process of admitting the feelings of death, the feeling of everything that's falling apart, it's going to help us to discern from our our temporary refuges and our permanent refuge, which is God himself. Those things are good things. And it's, it's good and right that we would grieve the loss of things like health and job or relationship. It's right and good to grieve the loss of those things. But in the process of grieving, it helps us to separate out. Okay, this is like a a temporary savior, but God is my real savior. He's my ultimate savior. So there's a a rejuvenating health that comes out of that, an ability to then praise God, even as we are honestly grieving the loss of something that that feels utterly like death. Longman and Allender have written a ton of books on recovering from abuse, and I recommend them to you. One's a biblical counselor. One's a seminary professor. Longman and Allender have written a lot of books on despair and abuse. And they say it this way, allow despair to do its full work and show you your need of God. Are we doing that? Are we allowing despair to do its full work and show us our neediness of God? To recognize that we're we're actually letting go of a temporary savior we're grieving the loss of something that might've been good and beautiful and right and true, but we're letting go of that as we cling on to our permanent forever savior. Another way to think of this is that sometimes those temporary saviors can, can be like idols. They can be like false gods, right? We're, we're worshiping them. And we're, we're learning to let go and learning to worship the true God. Another practice that I think is really helpful with this, and this is just something that you see from all the Psalms is that the psalmists are writing down their pain and then we benefit from that. So just to be clear, we're not psalmists, right? Like when you journal or you write down your pain, it's not going to become the Bible. But still, there's a practice of that that's really fruitful for us of getting it out of your head and, and down on paper. Just like it's healthy to share it with friends. James 5 says, confess your sins one to another, pray for each other that you may be healed. It's kind of the backbone for what our small groups are, right? You, you have relationships that you join with other people where you can be real and confess some of this stuff, right? Like I said, you don't, confess every crazy thought and feeling all the time to everybody. But you do in Christ have brothers and sisters where you can share some of those burdens with each other and pray for one another and be honest about it. So we have to speak these things out loud. We have to write them down. We read an article a few weeks ago, my wife and I, that said that some people in their thoughts have like their own voice with like complete words and sentences. Have you ever heard that before? Like that's not how my brain works. My brain is like, you know, it's like, concepts and pictures and things kind of mashing around. It's kind of like bumper cars. My wife is saying, no, there's like an actual voice. There's like words in her head. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Um, how many of you, when you think you have words in your head? Okay. How many of you, when you think it's just like random bits of stuff? Okay. And then uh, that's the same way it was the first service. There's like one third words, one third random bits, and then one third, you just don't think at all. So. <laughs> Um, that's cool, that's all right. I'm not shaming you. I think I think no matter how you think, it's good to get this stuff out, right? So when we worship, when we sing our praises and our laments to God, in a sense it's like corporate cognitive behavioral therapy, right? It's like corporate gospel-centered catharsis. We're sharing our grief, our brokenness, our need of God, we're hoping in God, we're doing that corporately, right? And it's also good to do that privately, journaling, writing down your thoughts, getting, getting them out. So whether they're fully formed sentences already before you write them, or if they're just random bits of stuff, like in my brain, it's good, it's good to get it out. We're, we're breaking the circularity, right? As human beings, we can just kind of go in circles and in circles and in circles, but there's this healing process when we express it to God, when we pray, when we share it with a friend and ask a friend to pray for us as well. Here's another thing to be on guard of. No matter how you think, some of you are just by nature more logical than the others, right? You're probably thinking, I don't need lament or emotion in the Psalms because I'm logical, right? Um, Here's the thing. Humans are not completely logical. So those of you that are like, you know, if we divide it up in the room, we put the most rational ones on one side and we put the most emotional ones on the other side, you know what the rational ones you'd still be irrational compared to God, right? And so I just, I just want you to, to think about that. I just want to challenge you with that. If you're more logical than the next guy or more rational than your spouse, that doesn't actually mean you're logical. You still have emotional junk you need to work through, okay? You, you just mask it better. <laughs> you just hide it better than the next person. Um, so we want to get this stuff out and we want to deal with it and that, that breaks the cycle of circularity in our thoughts. We express our grief, our pain, what feels like death. And as we do that, God's going God's to help us. So here's the last point. This process leads us to the gospel. So I said, that's, that's really kind of what the chorus is of ch- uh, chapter 42 and chapter 43. It keeps coming back to this, why are you downcast? Oh, my soul, hope in God. He is my salvation. And this is a great illustration of what we often describe as preaching the gospel to ourselves. So um, Paul Tripp has a book called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. And he says this, the most influential voice in your life is you. The most influential voice in your life is you. So for those of you that think in complete sentences, it might be like, you are very terrible. And here's a lot of shame that you should feel for that, right? Like in my brain, it's just like shame, fear, shame, fear. You know, it's like disconnected. Either way, that voice in your head that's most influential, is your own voice. And you need to break out of that and begin to preach the gospel to your own self. You need to grab yourself by the collar, say, self, why are you so depressed? Hope in God. God is good. God is my salvation. That's the, the pattern that we see here in the Psalm. But it only works. That chorus only makes sense because the psalmist is honestly expressing his grief already to God. Do you see that? So let's read Chapter 43. Verse one says, vindicate me, O God. You could translate that as justify me. Make me right, O God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. And and here's the turn. Look at this. Verse three, send out your light and your truth let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. He says, God, this is darkness. I'm in utter darkness. I'm in despair. I'm in pain. I see no way out. But instead of running away and grumbling about you, God, I'm going to run to you. And I'm going to say, will you send your light? Will you show me the way out of this hole? I don't know how to get out of this. Only God can get me out of this. And so we pray, God, send your light. Jesus said repeatedly in the gospel of John, he is the light of the world. We can run to him. We can ask him for help and he will guide us. He will send his light. And here's the crazy thing in this text, in this picture, he says in verse four, then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre. Oh God, my God, the the lyre, L-Y-R-E. That's like an ancient guitar or harp that they would use in worship. So he's saying, I'll go to the altar. And as I go to the altar, I'm going to the God of my exceeding joy. And that joy will drive me to praise God. Now, how many of y'all have read the book of Leviticus? Maybe read the book. Okay. A lot of you read Leviticus. So it's one of those Old Testament books that talks a about, lot about sacrifices. The sacrificial system, the altar of God on his holy hill, Mount Zion, the place of worship for the people of God, That would have been a place of a lot of bloodshed, a lot of sacrifice of animals. And for us as modern people, and probably even for them as ancient people, that would have been gross, right? I mean, maybe some of you are hunters and you're like, yeah, no big deal, slit an animal's throat. That's all right. You know, business as usual. But I think for most people, you're like, this is is kind of disgusting. I'm going to the altar, the place where blood will be spilt. And that is my place of exceeding joy in God. How do we make sense of that? Well, we make sense of it because what's being taught at the altar, at the sacrifice of animals in the Old Testament, and at the sacrifice of our Savior Jesus as the true Lamb of God, is that a substitute needs to take our place. Someone needs to come in. In our place of of greatest vulnerability, Hebrews 4 describes the Word of God as exposing us. When you read the Bible, one of the reasons people don't like to read the Bible is because it exposes us. It cuts to the heart. And one of the specific words it uses there in Hebrews 4 of how the the Bible is like a sword that exposes us, it's using a Greek phrase that's like the pulling back of the neck for for an animal to be slaughtered. So I have a, a picture here of a sacrificial lamb. The psalmist is saying, God, if you'll send your light, your light will, will break through the despair that I'm going through right now. And it'll take me to your holy hill. And what is your holy hill? Well, it's, it's the temple. It's where God meets man. And there in the Hebrew religion has come to full fruition in Jesus Christ, different from every other religion in the world. The story that's being told is that through these sacrifices, through these substitutes, our sins are forgiven and washed away. And that no amount of mask wearing or self-improvement allows us to work our way to God. That's what every other religion teaches. But the Old Testament and the New Testament of our Bible teaches that God works his way down to us. It teaches that God comes to us and actually becomes the sacrifice. He makes the sacrifice. He's the one that, that exposed his neck for us. So in Hebrews 4, where it's talking about this, this great terrifying exposure that we feel when the word of God shows how vulnerable, how broken, how messed up we are. It also says that we have a savior that we can hold fast to. Hebrews 4 tells us to run to him. It says, since we have a great high priest in Jesus who has passed through the heavens, Jesus is the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession of Jesus. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, with us in our weaknesses. He's not unable to sympathize with double negative, right? What does that mean? He can sympathize with us. Jesus can sympathize with you and with me. He's gone through the laments. He's gone through the griefs. He's gone through the sorrows that we've gone through. He lamented for us so that we can bring our lament to God. It says, hold fast to our confession. He was tempted, tried in every respect, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The author of Hebrews is, is making sense of the chorus that we see in Psalm 42 and 43. Why are, you, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation and My God, Jesus took our place. Jesus went through all the griefs that we've gone through. Jesus took our place and hung on the cross for us. He took our sin upon Himself. He gives us His resurrection life so that we can honestly bring our grief to Him. And we can do that knowing that we have a future hope, knowing that even as we're groaning, now, even as we praise, Romans eight twenty six says, we can pray and not even have the right words, but the Holy Spirit will meet us in the midst of our lament and, and give us words. So that our, our groanings without words will even make sense in our prayers of lament and grief. And Romans 8 continues to say that we're longing, we're groaning, we're waiting, and there will be a day when everything's gonna be made right. So because of that, we are to practice being honest with God, being real with him, trusting that he is our only hope, that he is our refuge and our salvation. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you call us to be real with you, that we don't have to hide. We don't have to to fake it, but we can share with you our fears and our pains. We can share with you our grief and our sorrow. And God, we believe that in the process, you transform us. You teach us step by step and pain by pain to hope in you as our salvation and our God. Thank you that you came to us. You didn't wait for us to build the ladder to heaven, but you worked your way down to us to save us and rescue us. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.